Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice. All game masters. This is episode 25, Plundering the Question Vault. We have had a lot of requests from our listeners and the one viewer who's watched our YouTube videos. who uh, <laughs> They've requested an all Question Vault episode. So uh, celebrate because your wish has been granted. The vault is going to be plundered. Oh. <laughs> we have an email from Graham H. Who talks about um, how much he loves the show. He plays a lawful Kronk Paladin, which is pretty funny. Um, he seems yes. to enjoy it. Um, I think he wants us to read the character's name on the air, which is Leandros Valantis, which I think is from Game of Thrones, actually. What? That, no, no, that sounds that sounds like from like a 5e published yeah. thing it just that yeah. sounds like a good name that yeah it, maybe up. if it's not taken from a published source then it's just that good yeah um all right so anyway he says he wants to ask our opinions on using old D settings and modules such as Spelljammer, which he believes is from second edition D and essentially porting them into 5e so he has a multi-part question so first is what are our opinions on these old settings have you ever done something similar to Spelljammer? Do you think it's worth it to use old content for 5e? And do you have any good recommendations for using old content? All right, Graham, that's a doozy, oh. and technically it's cheating to ask four a questions. A machine well, gun volley of <laughs> questions. Um, I think they're good. I, I don't know which question I'm answering, but I will answer a few. Um, is Spelljammer something I'm interested in with my players? No. Um, Spelljammer is incredibly cool and complex and like, so essentially Spelljammer is, correct me if I'm wrong, you are an adventuring party that like adventures through space and time visiting different planes of existence, right? I believe that's correct. And there are different, um, kind of interplanar warlords or interplanar raiders and factions that go between the planes just like you do um there's a lot of really really cool stuff there but it just doesn't fit my more grounded um dark fantasy sort of stuff um i think that's really cool but but regarding his other question i think can you mine stuff from other editions and other source books absolutely um, mm -hmm. when I'm bored, I will just go through like third and fourth edition, um, adventure modules. Um, and it's like, I can't, I don't use any of the stats cause they don't really convert to 5e, but like just yeah. using the situations is amazing. Um, I love going through old adventure, even like ancient, like, <laughs> um, first or second edition type, um, like advanced Dungeons and Dragons modules. They are completely silly, but they will give mm -hmm. you ideas that are just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I'd say mine old source books and old adventure modules as much as you can. A lot of them are online for free. Um, and if you can hunt them down, like there is so much to be gained and it'll just blow your mind to just be like, what? How did this person think of that? Uh, but yeah, so mining old stuff, I think there's there's a lot to do there. Yeah, I think that I think that you should use any setting that you're interested in or that your party is interested in because that's going to be something that you're going to be more passionate about playing. You're going to be more passionate about building a 
a world in and about mm-hmm. getting invested in. So if yeah. you if you want to play a Lord of the Rings style game, if you want to play an old D and D style game, if you want to play a Star Wars style game, like go for it. That's or My Little Pony, <laughs> right, David? No. <laughs> right, <Anyways>. David. <laughs> You can play D and D has that flexibility to to be whatever you want it to be, and whatever worse you want to be. If you <laughs> if you find joy in in the old settings that D and D has to offer, like go for it. That's awesome, and I think that you should totally like mine those resources because there's a lot of work that's been done in the past to yeah. build up these crazy settings like Spelljammer. And while I haven't personally played in a lot of them. I do th- think that there's a lot of like value there and there's a lot of adventures that can be had in those settings if yeah. you fancy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um I have I have so many thoughts, but I won't be able to say all of them, I don't think. Um okay, so Spelljammer was D&D's answer to sci-fi games because there was other sci-fi games coming out to compete with D&D 2nd edition at the time. And um for me, okay, so if you're playing old, like, first and second edition, or even um, some of the retro clones, like Dungeon Crawl Classics, you get a lot of this, um, I would call it strange cross-pollination, where sci-fi winds up in your world. I yeah. think in the bottom of Castle Greyhawk, um, you can get a, uh, like, a F-16 fighter jet. Um, but it's, What? Yeah, right, like, you, you're getting things that don't, uh, they don't really belong there. Um, what's that word for... Uh, when something doesn't belong in the time era, anti-versimilitude. <laughs> not, not the word I was thinking, but um, anyway, uh, that kind of stuff has always been a part of the old D and D game, and I enjoy some of it. Like, um, I know there's a game called Numenera where it's so far in the future that your technology, like hyper advanced technology, looks like magic. It's indistinguishable. And that's cool to me, right? Like you find a uh, something you think is a wand, but it, it explodes out of one end, right? Because it's actually a gun. But you describe yeah, it like you it's... did that with us, Will. Didn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. You had a game where we discovered what was it a, a crashed spacecraft or something? And oh yeah, yeah. We yeah. like the way that you described a gun, but like. You were describing a gun to players, or not players, but characters who didn't know what a gun was, was incredible. Because that takes a lot of, that's hard to do, to explain something that's so common, but to people that should not know what it is. Yeah, I remember that being really weird and interesting. Yeah, I remember looking at the spaceship and I was describing things um, in terms that are just very unusual, like like a control panel in a spaceship. And I'm saying you see a bunch of like chunks of wood and glass sitting on a countertop. And you're like, "Um, okay, what? Um, I know that famously um, Gary Gygax had a game where um, some barbarian type characters went into a house and he described um, all the things that they saw. And in the corner of the room, there was a um, pile of firewood. And the players couldn't figure out like what they're looking at. But they learned that the pile of firewood was actually a staircase. But their characters had oh, no concept whoa, of what that so, would be, right? That's so hard whoa. to do. Yeah. And it, it's a certain type of discipline, I think, to not just say, oh, there's a staircase. That's in the so hard. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, 
going back to my point, the the sci-fi cross-pollination has happened before, but I think for me personally, Spelljammer um, goes a little too far like out into space. Like you get a spaceship, the way you control it is like you sit on this throne and you put on this helmet that magically controls this huge spacecraft. Um, it's, it's cool, but again, it's too much for me. Um, as for using other settings, I know Dark Sun always has my, my heart. Um, huh. We could probably do a, a whole episode on all these different settings, but Dark Sun is like basically the magical post-apocalypse, the kind of Mad Max, like Jake's game. It's a really fun setting. Yeah, um, where you don't even have metal because it's so rare, so you use bone and wood weapons all the time. Uh, and there's a lot of them. We'll talk about those later. Um, but yeah, definitely mine these modules for inspiration. Like, um, for instance... I'm subscribed to something called the Humble RPG Bundle. And so it seems like just about every week there's a new sale on games. So recently I bought the entire Lord of the Rings RPG, like every book that's ever been published for $15. It's like $400 worth of stuff I got for $15. So um, I, I haven't looked at them yet. I haven't read them. But I, I've heard that there's a lot of parts of that system that, that you can just swipe out and, and put in your D&D. Like the way they handle overworld travel is mainly the thing I wanted it for. Um I got a $60 box set for $5 in PDF. And um, I just take out the dungeons, I take out the monsters, whatever you need. Um, so yeah, just just absorb and collect. And um, don't forget that you have it because it's very usable and, and very cool. Yeah. Yeah, just mm -hmm. in terms of like actually converting into 5e, I would just use the lore and the setting and like NPC names and all that and just ignore all of the stats and like how the system actually works. And come up with, um, just use 5e whenever you can. And if not, just try to come up with a system that works within 5e if you're doing things like Spelljammer and like spaceship travel. Yeah, conversions can, um, on, on paper, they can be very hard if you're trying to achieve this perfect one-to-one -one conversion of like, oh, here's the 3.5 version yeah. and here's 5e. But honestly, all you got to do is grab this, the closest stat block you can out of the monster manual. Yeah. It's like, oh, this guy is like a, a sailor on a starship. How about a bandit from the monster manual? And then yeah. I just give him like a ray gun. Or some yeah. sort of pirate. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> don't don't sweat it. Like there's better things to spend your time on. Mm -hmm. So that was Graham. Thank you, Graham. We're getting into some uh, more fun questions. This one is from Ben Hamilton who asks, If you could have the benefits of any class in real life, which class would you pick? Including ability score improvements, feats, etc. Oh no, David should go first on this. Oh. Oh, that's weird. <sighs> Hmm. <laughs> it raises so many questions for me like how all of a sudden you wake up and uh like do spells exist now like can i cast spells are you the only one who can do it or is this like um a universal thing yeah did a bunch of people like one percent of the population is now dnd classes or is everyone in dnd class yeah you guys are overthinking it i think i have an answer <laughs> all right what's your answer so i think i would be oh uh, i think i'd be a warlock because I'm thinking of all the other D&D classes, and they all have kind of an element of like, hey, look at here, this is what I am. But like a warlock, you can kind of hide it. Um, in in one of my games, uh, the, the players are part of uh, like a SEAL Team 6 type of like Navy SEALs dungeon infiltration unit. Um, and one of the, the players gets into the team by basically just lying his way in. Um, and he's mm -hmm. like, yes, I'm a good fighter, but in actuality, he's, he's a warlock. Um, oh. and it, when you think about the class, it's, it's pretty easy to pretend to be something else, um, like with a warlock. So I think I would be a warlock because 
you know, you make a little, just a standard deal with the devil. Um, <laughs> and then you mm. can hide it. You don't have to be like a cleric outwardly saying stuff or, or like, um, you know, if you're a fighter, you're just kind of a standard soldier. Um, Druid would be pretty cool because you could turn into different animals. Um, but I think, I think it'd be warlock for me. All right. I think Will should go next. <laughs> Um, first of all, Jake, it's a solid choice, but is the incorrect choice. Mm. Why on earth would you not be a wizard? Mm. Like you have all of the power from the whole Dude, game. They'd find and you. The government no, would find you. I, they would find you too. Like if there's magic nope. happening, the devil would protect me. <laughs> the devil. <laughs> Wait a minute. So, so, what be, level? Could, like what level are you in, in this? I'm just imagining level just a level one, a hundred, or level two. What forever? Because there's no way to level no, you up. Start, you start out at really low level. <laughs> oh, there's ways to level up. Yeah, a standard human is worth 50 XP if you kill. Oh, him. No. <laughs> Wait. So we just we're now serial killers. Um, just trying, trying to, level, to up. level up. That's <laughs> our defense to the lawyers. I was trying to level up, and humans are worth 50 XP. This oh. is some dark stuff. Um, so even at level one, a wizard has three cantrips and two first level spells. I think that's enough to get the job done. Like, yeah, give me Eldritch Blast, though. Oh, why would you not want like um, oh, what's it called? Prestidigitation or Mage Hand or any of these? Like, it's a very minor a, spell in the D and D world, but in the in real life, mm-hmm. it's better than the Force. Give me a okay. minigun as a hexblade packed weapon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I think I think I'm gonna crush you all with my answer oh, because no. I am going with Bard because huh. Bards they get. To add their proficiency bonus to every single skill, which means that huh. in real life you will be good. You'll be able. You'll have a boost to every single thing you do. On top of having a like you being proficient in a specific skill, like you'll have an extra proficiency. You'll be super high in charisma, which means because That's like strength and dexterity IRL isn't stat. necessarily useful anymore. You can just talk your way out of things in general. And you'll you'll you could just become like Drake or Kanye West and just put on performances. Dude. Well, it wouldn't matter as yeah. much for David because all of his core stats start at three. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I I think honestly I think David's in the right track here because to blend into the modern mm. world like a college mm. of glamour bard, it's yeah. like you're an instant pop star. Yeah. Like and and I think we're. Me and Will were thinking about it in forms of, or maybe me at least, and my deal with the devil. Uh, we're thinking about it in terms of lethality and like. Like I'm not going to be trying to kill people in real life. I'm just going to be trying to make a lot of gold. You know, <laughs> um, I would cut, create an illusion of a bar of gold, sell it, and then walk away, and it disappears. And I just I made a ton of money, and I did nothing. I didn't have to become a pop star to do that. Ooh, but there's security cameras today. Like you're gonna get like. That's why I cast my illusion rather have first. A- <laughs> Dude, the magic cops will be on you in a second. <laughs> yeah, those uh, the what are the what is the police in Hogwarts or in the the Goon Squad? The Goon Squad. No yeah. police in Hogwarts. And not in, but in um, the Harry Potter universe. Doesn't Harry Potter the join Ministry the of cops? Magic? The, the Ministry end? of Magic will come after you. Yeah, if I remember from my reading of the book, Harry Potter joins the bad guys and says, "Hail Lord Voldemort." The end. No, he says, "Hail Ministry of Magic," which is the same thing. The end. <gasps> oh, some conspiracy <laughs> stuff going on here. No, I think College of Glamour Bard. I think that yeah. there's that would okay. be the best thing in the modern world by far. And then feats like Lucky, 
Always. Oh good. yeah, lucky would be absolutely. Because that way it's like, sound. oh, if this lottery ticket didn't work out. Let me re-roll. Let me try. And even if you don't get it, it's like, all right, I'll try <laughs> again next, next day after, yeah. after a long rest. <laughs> so there's a movie that's very similar to David's idea of the bard just being good at everything, and it's a movie called Limitless with Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Um, where it's a drug that will just like unlock your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's a fun. Yeah. It's a fun premise. Um, but you just see what happens when he's just better at everything. Yeah. And how his life changes. Um, now I'm wondering if it was based on David's life. <laughs> Being <laughs> limitless. Bard life. So we have another question by uh, Tanner Anderson, uh, and it reads, how would you survive in a cave of goblins if your arms and legs were chicken drumsticks, no hands, and you have to waddle around, unquote. <laughs> what in the... Okay. What? Hmm. A cave of goblins, and my arms and legs are. Ch- <laughs> it seems like a really disturbing body horror kind of game. Oh, I'm assuming that I keep my bard levels. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, would you, for like two levels in any class, would you sacrifice your arms and legs to have chicken legs? No. If, as if, my, deal, if my deal with the devil is nice enough, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are these chicken legs scaled to proportion with your body, or are they just like normal <laughs> size drumsticks? Oh, no. I think they'd be scaled. Uh, oh, it's really yuck. gross. <laughs> but they like, they're always somehow fresh. Oh. Like, it's like they just came out of the fryer. So, okay, uh, I feel cooked? like yeah, the answer I imagine. to this has to be either my deal with the devil. Um, but if if the devil doesn't answer, I feel like you just got to roll charisma until the goblins yeah. worship you as a god. Yeah, I think that's really god. the only the way out of here. God. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, really... I was just going to say I would be eaten because <laughs> goblins would just fall on you like um, like the plague. Do a smell check, goblins. <laughs> I would T-pose on them to assert my dominance. Oh, uh, yuck. They'd eat you faster. <laughs> if it you was would, my game then yes they would they'd re- you'd reveal your oh. spices <laughs> um oh. so uh tanner also asks which do you like more homemade campaigns or pre-made campaigns easily homemade homemade has that that personal flair that's like ooh. i don't know anybody who would run um, a campaign out of a book without changing anything yeah you just don't do that yeah, but that, that, you're still using it though. Like when I'm running Tomb of Annihilation, I'm I've got a lot to work with, but I'm kind of crediting Dungeons and Dragons for creating a good adventure module. I'm not yeah. being like, "Wow, I'm so good at at D and D." Like <laughs> as I'm running Tomb of Annihilation, like taking credit for it, you know. <clears throat> I would um, say I kind of disagree with that. Oh, go Ooh. go ahead. Okay, um, it was from a podcast I listened to, and they were reviewing Tomb of Annihilation, and they said um, that you cannot run the game out of the book by just reading the book. You have to make up your own interpretation for how travel works. You have to um, make the encounters flow together, like the random encounter tables and everything. And they say um, if you're not a good DM, it wouldn't be the same game as in the hands of a a bad DM. So... Okay, hold on. I think D&D assumes this, though. I feel like a lot of times all of us talk about 5th edition D&D and we go, this isn't perfect. Oh my gosh, why didn't they make this more specific and perfect? And it's like, 
they make it vague and intentionally so because they want to adapt to every possible table. And so, yeah, I don't think, I don't like tube annihilation is not meant to be read strictly from the book as is because you have to apply your table's magic to it. Um, so I would say in general to this question, I really, really like homemade settings, but using one shots or pre-made uh, adventure Adventures. arcs mm. that you fit okay. in. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Because it's just, like, I've done several adventure arcs um, on my own, and they, they've done great. But it, it's really, especially if you're, you know, busy at work or you have a lot of stuff on your plate, it's very nice to be able to have an adventure that you can read from and then go, all right, this goes here, this goes here, this goes here, and you just kind of plug it in. It takes away a lot of the the, the heavy lifting of the work. Yeah, for sure. So Ben Doklas asks what is the strangest and most unique race slash class combo oh that's mm. good that's good going statistically um <sighs> according to that breakdown we saw a few months ago or just like in our opinion wait there's a breakdown yeah remember we knew that human fighters are the most common oh okay okay so well then i think you would just go the rarest class and the rarest race which, if we're going by what's legal in Adventures League for 5th edition, the mm. rarest class is Druid, and the rarest race is Tortle. So it would be a Tortle Druid. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're going just data, by the math. It was, a, it was an Asimar Druid, but this is older before Tortle. It's, so it's not included. Right. <laughs> uh, should, should, oh, well, that's Imagine the objective a answer, tortle, A, a Tortle <laughs> turning into a turtle. <laughs> just a regular turtle <laughs> um okay let's think of, let's get more creative on this though i think we can get weirder right. i really like races that do not fit with the classes like i really like stuff like a gnome barbarian or a dwarf um, wizard or oh, like yeah, yeah or even even stuff like a tiefling um i don't know, like a tiefling fighter like they don't necessarily go together um like a I, human fighter oh my okay <laughs> um what's like uh, what's a good one uh an arakoa rogue that's a little weird and he's a, a goliath monk Ooh, that could be cool though yeah uh, no i think it'd be a goliath rogue would be funny like this <laughs> huge guy sneaking around <laughs> yeah. yeah i love getting uncommon uh race class combinations Mm -hmm. But the strangest, I think, would have to be some of the most wildest. So it'd be Tortle or Arakoa or Arakakra. Um I don't know. I'm, I'm imagining a, a toucan Arakakra. Oh. <laughs> that's, oh, wait, centaurs that's, now. That's like a barbarian. Oh, yeah, that's a weird one. Like a, a, a centaur wizard. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. I would do a centaur wizard with another player who plays a... Um, a knight fighter oh or the cav is it cavalier oh, knight whatever yeah yeah that way you get to ride them and you have like this mixture of uh yes skills. okay okay hold on i saw this thing on reddit where um someone picked they, they played a centaur monk and uh the monks uh he basically put all of his magic items and, and all of his skills into movement speed just be this oh incredibly fast centaur and yeah. the uh the bad guy 
was being beat up by the party and just decided to leave um on like this hot air balloon that got got him on top of a cliff um like overlooking a waterfall <laughs> and the centaur monk said i want to run up the waterfall <laughs> <laughs> And the monk, at a certain level, gets the ability to walk on water. Oh <laughs> so, my god! So it literally, and with his movement speed, he just dashed, like ran up the waterfall. Like imagine that! Like you're a, an evil villain escaping, and you look down, and there is a horse person running <laughs> up a waterfall. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh man. Oh. That'd be scary. I'd be scary. Yeah, I would run away. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> oh, there's Tabaxi as well. What about like Ooh. a Tabaxi Paladin? Oh, I like that though. I'm imagining like a tiger person or like a lion person. Oh. Oh yeah. And then we'd have some weird Tabaxi name like shines his armor. I okay. Here's the thing. I think a lot of people don't give Tabaxi or Aarakocra or Tortles like enough credit because they think of them in like their most standard form. Mm-hmm. But I think you should go crazy, right? Like a tabaxi, you're thinking like, okay, a house cat in armor. But it's like, no, my tabaxi is a cheetah person. Or my tabaxi is like a, a puma. Or my tabaxi is a lion or a tiger. Um, same thing with a turtle. You could have like this weird tortoise, like a red-eared tortoise that would be different. Or with an aracocra, there's a million things to work with. Like a toucan person or a parrot person or a <laughs> penguin person. Like... They're like, or even just like a cardinal or a blue jay. Um, there's so much to do. So like, some of those races are my favorite because there's so much variance. Because like with a human, you can't really do that. It's like, yeah, okay, you have dark skin or light skin, and your hair could be red, black, or brown or blonde. And but like, <laughs> with with this, it's like there, there's a million different ways you can go. Dude, I think it'd be so cool to have like a bunch of turtles, like. Maybe they could be monks and like they could all have like some sort of connected backstory where like maybe they got like poisoned by radioactivity or something. Huh. And you could name them after like famous artists. Oh, okay. Stop. Stop. <laughs> maybe there's like, there's, the like a rat person. There's a rat person. Yeah, there's that... there's a rat person. Okay, hold on. Okay, we went to see TMNT when I was in high school or whatever, and we we had just been learning about this stuff in, in science class about like cross pollination and Darwinism and stuff like that, and <laughs> and we went to see it. And I remember looking over to my friend and was like, "How how is well, what's his name, Mister Ratburn? What what's the guy that the rat Master Splinter rat again? Nerd. Okay, sorry." <laughs> and I looked and I was like, "How is Master Splinter like their their dad?" And my friend just straight faced looks at me and goes, "Cross pollination." idiot (laughs) (laughs) and it was so funny because we had just been learning about that in in our class and like just hearing cross-pollination idiot like it made me lose oh i love that oh yeah like it's obvious that you know a rat could turn so giant but also so elderly Mm -hmm. was he aged because of the Okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, this one, um, I don't know who said this. Um, probably one of the people who wrote us a question before. They said, what is your favorite world genre? As in high or low fantasy, old west, etc. Oh, huh. 
Lush. Lush. Um, uh, so my answer is kind of a cop-out, and I would say mid-fantasy. Because I don't like the distinction between high and low fantasy. Um, so somewhere in between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones is usually mm. what I say for that mid-fantasy. And I feel like that's the standard 5e view on on that as well. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you, Jake. Um, though I'm, I'm kind of curious to run a game with no magic at all to see how it feels. With what? Without any magic at all. Oh. Hmm. But I, okay. I fear oh. it would be boring. Okay, I really want to play with you guys. I want to play Chainmail, the game oh, that no. Gary Gygax no. used as like a wargaming thing to like make the first edition of D&D. I want oh, to you, try it. You would hate it. We should run it when you're in town. I you love just I one night. I would love it to try it. All right. <laughs> there there are a lot of interesting settings that I like. So sci-fi, that's a fun one. I like low magic actually a lot um maybe post-apocalyptic or like a western style as well because western in, in so many ways is like a post-apocalyptic genre. yeah so i, I, I kind of like a lot of things I, I like that like western like post-apocalyptic like kind of like halfway in between them maybe a lower magic um, <clears throat> or sci-fi those are those are probably like the two settings that i really enjoy so i love a good pure sci-fi like mass effect as well yeah Dude, I am I am craving. <laughs> I really want to play a game that's like a classic Buck Rogers sci-fi that is just the corniest, weirdest. Like you're wearing fish <laughs> bowls as you know sci-fi helmets with ray guns. Oh, Dude, I, would love I want to revisit our first game oh setting. Oh my gosh, I can do that so well now. And we, I want to like play like play different characters, but maybe like we interact with some of our old characters. So the first the first game that I ever played, and I think Jake ever played, was um, one that Will came up with, and it was this post-apocalyptic game filled with like magic and sci-fi. Oh, you're talking and about Captain Killdrill? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would love to go back to and see revisit the future that. of that world. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And that just playing cool. it again, I think it would yeah. be really fun and interesting. Yeah, with I like the politics of the fallen angels and stuff like that. Yeah, I still mm-hmm. have the um, word document somewhere in my Google Drive. Um, I could totally find it and then just kind of make a little one shot. That'd be really fun. That to would be super fun. Yeah, oh I want there to be a gosh. statue to Captain Killdrill. <laughs> or like you, you just come up to a guy who has like a car door and there's like a drill for hand. <laughs> Like that would the the nostalgia factor there. Hey, I found yeah. it. Would be amazing. Uh, the text document is called the Great Space Adventure, and I have like summaries, everything. This is the That's one where sweet. you uh, went into a spaceship, like the derelict ship, yeah. and uh, oh got into my trouble. god, yeah. Oh, this is so simple. The way I used to write adventures. Okay, I so I have a question for you guys that kind of expands on this question. Um, what do you feel like is the movie or tv show or video game that most matches the tone of the games that you like to run um hmm hmm okay let me think because part of me wants to say the battlestar galactica reboot from the 2000s oh okay because that was so um like it was sci-fi but it was not anything like star trek or like star wars yeah it was just a uh, essentially a military submarine thriller with a lot of politics yeah Yeah. 
um, and I liked the way that felt. But as a game, that'd be hard to capture, especially in so D and D, because it's. What do you think about your game? What is like if you were to do an analog? Like you'd be like, my game feels like the because when I run my games several different campaigns have been very different. Like my first campaign, it's kind of an introductory rise to Tiamat or rise of Tiamat. I'm like, okay, this game is kind of like star Wars. Like it's very kind of cheesy and there's fate and prophecy. And it's kind of like the good guys are going to win. Um, but then my next campaign was very dark and gritty. And I was like, this is kind of like game of Thrones. Cause it's just so grounded and real and dark so what do you think your in general your game what would be an analog for it? Oh, that's tough. I'll I'll so, defer to David because since he's playing it. So I so are you saying like what are the two type what are the or sorry, what are the types of movies that we think our games are most like? No no no. Yeah, well yes. But, or but what do we draw inspiration if from? If someone goes, Hey David, the game you're running, what would you compare its tone to? Like what okay. would you say? So there are two types of games. So if I'm playing D&D as a game, not necessarily story focused, I like to imagine it as more like a Marvel movie or huh. or like that's like a Guardians of the Galaxy. I feel like, I feel like that's where you're having you're just kind of having fun with it. There's a lot of jokes. There's, there's a lot of references. There's quips. Yeah. Um, and then you get to do cool things as well. And then if I'm running D&D as a story it almost looks more like Star Wars The Last Jedi or huh. so something along those lines where it's there's a more a, a big emphasis on the story and not as much on the actual like action fighting action mm. yeah okay mm. so i much like david i have two answers i have like my perfect world and i have what what the reality is <laughs> okay. in my perfect world my game would look like band of brothers the hbo miniseries about world war 2 where it's just rough. Oh my and, god, that's insane. Yeah, that's right? so like, good. Um, and, and every episode is a slice of life of the squad um, getting into scrapes. <laughs> um, however, my actual story probably looks more like, um, oh, geez, like a, a History Channel documentary crossed with a Discovery Channel documentary um weird yeah right like it's it's much lower pressure it yeah right like you kind of sit back and and you watch things happen sometimes okay that's really interesting because so so the main joke that i that i see all the time on twitter and reddit is um what the dungeon master thinks his campaign is and it, it shows lord of the oh. rings and it says what the dungeon, what the campaign actually is, and it's Monty it's Python. always sunny and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, um, that's good. That's yeah. Forgotten that that fits. I feel like that's the general vibe. Um, but Will, what you were saying, your your ideal of like Band of Brothers, I really, really, really want to play sometime in the next few years after we finish our our big long Waterdeep marathon campaign. I want to do in my game world a World War One campaign, um, and to okay. see my characters in the trenches, like in the dark depths of human depravity, um, and and just maybe it's only like a three shot or a four shot, but I'd love to see a real gritty, serious like World War One like campaign with magic. Like, mm -hmm. oh, hmm. I feel like that'd be really cool. Um, but in general, I feel like my games are the tone. of of avatar the last airbender 
I f- oh, that's good. I feel like okay. that fits most because there's there's kind of an overarching prophecy slash plot, um, but there's a ton of character development, a lot of very funny, interesting NPCs. Um, I feel like Avatar: The Last Airbender fits my plot overall like the most. One of the game, or uh, so I just have one last thing to say is. One of the styles that I really want to try to perfect and get down would be a game very similar to that of Adventure Time. Oh. Because oh, it's that so... That is a weird tone. It's so interesting and quirky and weird. I think has, quirky is the I, best, yeah. I love the world that they build up, and it's just... There's so much depth, and there's like, you know, there's an underarching plot, but and each kind of episode has its own little narrative, and it's... You come across so many weird and quirky it's things. Interesting it's, yet it's interesting yet silly, and yes. silly, and yet. But then the underlying fun. story is not as silly. No, no, it's dark, but it doesn't appear that way. And I love, I love that. No, and the way they reveal information is so slow that you oh. always find yourself wanting to know more, but you, I, yeah. you don't really get to. And I, yeah. I love the world, like how they just develop the world. So mm-hmm. I would love to run a game in that style. Yeah, yeah. For uh, further research, watch Adventure Time or read uh, the Dying Earth trilogy. Ooh. Tanner Anderson also asked, what gear is the most essential to playing a game? Gear? Like, hmm. um, supplies? Inside, Fifth gear. Outside Fifth gear. of the game or inside the game? Is there, wait, what? Oh, that's, this, is this question meant to, to stupefy the us? its tail. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, time is I think a he means circle. I think he means outside the game, like to get ready. Um, we've talked about this before. Um, you really oh. t- just need a pencil, uh, and maybe not even that. Like if you have um, iPhone or something, you could probably just play without anything except a device. You really only, especially if you're one of them young Gen Zers, um, like really all you need is a a dice rolling app and like a Google document. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, that's really all that's you need. all free and or like and D and D beyond. I think for five e, if you're running a game specifically in five e, having a strong understanding of the mechanics so that you that's don't, not gear. I I think it is. I think it, that knowledge is something that would be helpful, and not having to consistently reference the rules every five seconds mm. is something that would come in very handy. And while it isn't something that is a physical item that you necessarily have to bring to the table, it is something that would be very helpful in terms of preparing the game and just ease of running the game. Well, if David can stretch the answer, then so can I. Um, the most essential gear for playing the game is enthusiastic people. Oh, we but are really, stretching this definition. Really. Good God. <laughs> I mean, fundamentally, uh, you just have to be alive. To play a game right now. <laughs> as long as you have air, you're good. I would say people that are alive is the best gear for a most essential. Oh <laughs> uh, wait, would you know, say you interesting play people? by yourself and have? No, I say enthusiastic people. Okay, people who actually yeah. want to be there. Yeah, I think here's the thing. I think that coincides with people that are willing to commit to D and D. Because yeah. I see a billion threads. On Reddit and Twitter and wherever of people saying, um, oh my gosh, my group is, we're doing so great, but like, you know, we, we can only meet like once every two months. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's, you got to commit. Like, I don't know. I, maybe just because I've been blessed with a group that's like, okay, Tuesday nights, that's when we play D&D. 
And so if someone says, hey, I need you to do this thing on Tuesday night, they'll say, sorry, that's my D&D night. And so I... Okay, it must be known that um, due to scheduling conflicts, we are recording on a Tuesday night. Oh, 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 no. What happened? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We we did move to Thursday this week. Oh, that's Um, good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I like the idea that, um, I don't know, that people commit to something. And it's like, hey, I want us to be a community. Like, what I've gotten is a reaction from people of just, like, like randomly someone in our group, like, their their grandma dies. And all of the group on Facebook Messenger is just like, hey, man, if you need anything, just, just very kind and weirdly mm-hmm. empathetic and loving. And I'm like, whoa, we, like, shit on each other all day. <laughs> <laughs> and like we're so kind to each other like when something actually happens um and and it's it's been very interesting to see this i don't know like playing D with the same people for you know at this point four years in a row mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's been crazy to see that so yeah i think yeah it kind of makes know, this sense will be all though. cut out yeah it's like commitment of being like willing to say well this i mean week, like this day Oh, I mean, oh, like ahead. how it how it builds friendships. Like you're you have like as a party, you have the the communal struggles and the communal highs, and you have that that bond that you develop through you know as you go through adventures together. Like you suffer equally and you triumph equally, and it's it's similar to like how people have like build relationships as coworkers. Like you may not necessarily like the people as much but you definitely like build a strong bond with them just because you've been through so much together and because yeah. you're playing with D with people you enjoy you're gonna have an even stronger bond because they're actually people that you care about so yeah it's, it's really interesting and unlike work um you don't have to be around these people no. with D. you choose to be around these people and so um i think it is a big part of community building because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people that I meet, they have no community. They don't go to church. They yeah. don't go to school anymore. They don't go. They don't. They don't have friends. And um, that's I, so true. I know. And so now, weirdly, D and D is this thing that's building communities for people. That, yeah, it, it's so weird though because it is kind of an excuse. Like it's like you show up and it's like we can be close for this amount of time each week. Yeah. And it's it's. Beautiful and oh, I just want to spread the gospel of D and D. Don't we all? All right, what's next? So, what's the most unexpected thing that's happened in your guys's games? The one that immediately comes to mind. Hmm. This was the first campaign I ever ran. I was using Savage Worlds for a time, and then I learned that Gygax, after he lost the rights to D and D, made another system called Legendary Adventure, and the G is instead a J. Legendary Adventure. It's terrible. <laughs> Don't play it. Um, but when we were concluding the campaign, I had this plot point where um, dwarves, I believe, had built golems as like miners. And they were all mm-hmm. controlled remotely by this crown that, uh, like a circulate thing that yeah. um, the master would would use to command them. And so the players killed the master. And I said, "Okay, now you have control over all all of these golems, like hundreds of these golems." And I think it was my sister was controlling this character. She takes the the circlet, she raises it high, and she places it on the head of another golem. And I was like, 
Oh my gosh, she just created an entire people group. <laughs> uh, so now they're going to rule themselves just as it should be, I guess. <laughs> I I never anticipated that. It was great. Wow. And that's how AI was created. <laughs> um oh man, unexpected. I think I've talked about this before. Um a big leap in myself, I think becoming a better dungeon master is I have been blessed or cursed, however you view it, with players that are very enthusiastic and great players, but they almost appreciate a railroad. And, you know, I have kind of plot hooks. And my first games were especially bad about this. Like, it was like, okay, this is the plot. And they're like, okay, yeah. And, like, there wasn't really any deviation. If there was, it was kind of just a minor thing. And in one of my games... um, one of my players, uh, you know, they had their plot hook. Uh, this mean military man was like, all right, we need to go investigate this thing down south. All right, you'll be paid handsomely. Go go ahead and do it. And my players are like, um, yeah, no, we went ahead north. Oh, no. And and I'm like, what the f-? And I, at that point, I was just panicked. Like, there was a klaxon just <laughs> blaring in my mind. I'm like, well, it's done. I'm over. I, I'm caught as a fraud. <laughs> Um, and they went north, uh, and it ended up being wonderful and it worked great. And that was a big moment where I was like, okay, um, I, I can, I know my world well enough. I think that's the advantage I have is I've been playing in the same world for years and years so that like, if they go anywhere on the map, I know what the town is like. I know NPCs there. I know enough that like I can improv them teleporting anywhere on my world my plane of existence that they can go um and so it was just trusting that though it's scary to to be like like if you show this map to someone and be like this is my world and i'm really excited about it and they go i want to go here and just press against the map and it's like okay <laughs> and they go there it's like are you prepared to role play that place um and i think it that was a big example or that was a big leap for me to be like okay, I'm, I'm prepared to let them go anywhere. Um, and it made my campaign richer and more interesting because of it. Uh, so I think that was the biggest unexpected thing that really just radically changed. Um, it kind of allowed me as a, uh, an engineer of a train <laughs> to destroy the rails and to let them go wherever they, they want. I like that because you, uh, you let them control when they got off yeah it was scary but it, it worked great huh so good going off the last question uh asked i think this one fits in um as well so let me start as a dungeon master designing his own campaign i'm working to include exploration slash side quest options for the campaign how do you three determine the best options for pacing your campaign to fruition for example, I've included mechanics for both a gladiator arena with social ramifications, a hunter's guild with randomized missions, an anarchist slash intelligent organization. Think CIA infiltrate the party at Steve Harvey's mansion <laughs> to gather whatever intel the contract desires. I mean, first off, that sounds amazing. Yes. Um, you all briefly touch on pacing in different episodes, but it's never gone into in depth. 
The goal is really to give the players better opportunity for immersion to their characters, as well as a chance to explore the world. What drawbacks can be expected from these additional options? That's from Charlie. So, Ooh, what do you guys think? This is a this? really good question. Yeah, it wait. Is. So his question boils down to what drawbacks? It it boils no. down to adding side quests slash exploration slash um, any additional kind of flavor. Um, and how does that affect the pacing of the campaign? Yeah. Does it slow it down? Does it speed it up? Does it get the campaign off the rails? Um, yeah. What, what do you guys think of that? So it's all about pacing. And this is so this is so different from game to game. Because if he's running a game where there's some urgent need to go save the world, then there's not going to be as much downtime to do gladiator arenas or, and side quests. And um, I've seen this, because I've done this kind of thing, uh, where the players ignore that stuff because there's urgent matters at hand. Um, if you're running a game that's more like Skyrim, where there's a threat that is definitely happening, but it's kind of far away and vague, uh-huh. and you could, it can wait, then you'll get more buy-in for these kind of mechanics. So it really depends. So I think I kind of have a controversial opinion, and that is, in terms of the overall campaign story, I don't think pacing matters. Whoa, that is controversial. Uh, in fact, it is controversial. That's, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what does David Let me, define pacing? So, uh, for me, that that is like the pace at which you're going through the overall story or the campaign. And I think that you should it would be better if you devoted your time and energy to focusing on the moment to moment actual like fun of the story rather than focusing on the grand arc that you're going to achieve because eventually you're going to get there. For me, it is like, how much fun are you going to have along the way and how interesting is it going to be? And how much are you developing it? Okay. Because I, because you can, you can finish a campaign and you know, a day if you like speed through everything, but it's not necessarily going to be as fun. And you want to, you kind of want to focus on the things that the players are having fun with. And you kind of want to, drive them into the story through plot hooks and things like that. Okay. So this is my question is for David and Will. How many campaigns have you all finished? Probably zero. David? I mean, zero, but wow. Okay. So, so, okay. So for you to say, guys, it's not about finishing. It's about the, the adventure along the way at me as someone who has finished several campaigns, I think that's ridiculous. Like finishing a campaign has this beautiful, powerful, amazing climax to it. And like, yeah, it's you're having fun along the way, but that crescendo at the end means something. And sure, but the thing not is having that is you sad. play with people who can commit to playing D&D on a weekly basis and we can't. And so I'm going to formulate a game where I'm going to have fun every single time I play and you're going to formulate a game that has 12 episodes in it because you have players who are going to be playing in every single one of those episodes. So the argument isn't that pacing is irrelevant. It's like, how do you pace a game when you, you have no idea if if this week is your last week ever. Yeah. So so I've been thinking about this. Um, Actually, there was one campaign that I finished as far as I can remember right now. And that was because it was a three uh, three act game and that was this uh, hunger games oh, yeah. moon kind of romp 
and it was only ever supposed to be three, and it was, and there was a finale, and it was great. Um, but you're right, Jake, when you're planning and there's a, a certain time frame you're trying to hit, uh, I think streamed games would probably, people who stream games would be um, really capable of answering this question very well. Um, it changes the way you make decisions because you have to get to a certain point at a certain time. I don't, hmm. I don't think that's how Matt Mercer runs his games, though. I think it's pretty open world, and the players go at their own pace. Well, it is, it is, but you know mm-hmm. why? Because Matt Mercer spends around thirty hours a week on his campaign, and oh my gosh, at that point you can do anything. Like he knows the world better probably than like the state of Iowa, and so. Well, I mean that's not hard. <laughs> But, like, bottom line, he, yeah, like. (coughs) Take that, Iowa. (laughs) You're wrecked, Iowa. (laughs) But, like, yeah, I think Matt Mercer, yeah, because he's just beyond, like, he just has so much time. And, like, it's literally his job. Um, But most people, they're making a campaign for a group of people and they want to have have a nice crescendo, a nice end, a climax. So getting away from that, um, a really good rule of advice regarding Charlie's question about pacing is, I can't remember where I heard this, but but this has been fantastic advice for me. Um, it is whenever the players are struggling, intervene as a dungeon master. Mm. But whenever the players are doing very well, intervene as a mm. dungeon master. So if the player's doing really bad, intervene. If the player's doing really good, intervene. Now, what do you mean by doing really good? If they're blasting through a dungeon like cake, okay. that's the point where you introduce a massive iron golem just to make them afraid again, right? Okay. Like, get them back to the baseline. Um, the same way, like, if they're struggling really hard with some puzzle or something, you introduce a way around or you introduce an NPC or something that that can make that part easier. You want to keep them towards the baseline. And so, you know, obviously Dungeons and Dragons is ups and downs of really exciting and then kind of downtime and then really exciting and then kind of boring waiting your turn in combat or whatever. But as a dungeon master, your job is to kind of keep those crazy ups and downs in more of a center. And so and I think if, yeah go ahead and i was just i would just say that i think that you and me like i think we're just understanding things differently because i totally agree with you on that in that you're you're in what you're describing is you're focusing on the moment to moment you know fun of the players and making sure that they they don't get stuck in their board because they can't progress any forward any more forward in the story or uh-huh. the combat is too easy so you're kind of like throwing more threats at them and uh-huh. I totally agree, and I think that that goes in with um, what I was talking about. How you're you should be focusing on making the fun, the game fun, as you're playing it, and not in the future. You should be trying to have fun as much as possible huh. in the current yeah. game that you're playing. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think we, yeah, yeah. No, it's that's the hardest part about D and D is making it fun as much as possible. Yeah, because it sounds easy when I say. Hey, when your players are doing really well, intervene and make it harder. But then, like, <laughs> oh, if your players are doing really poorly, like intervene to make it easier. Like that just mm-hmm. sounds like, yeah, that's great advice. But it's like, that's mm-hmm. hard to do because you're like, yeah. okay, have they struggled enough 
to help mm. them out? Or like, are they doing so good that I should knock them down a peg? Um, mm. Knowing that balance is, is tough. It's really a good question. So in regards to the spirit of his question of like adding exploration and side quests and all sorts of kind of alternate routes um, to go on um, for your players as a dungeon master, like all of these little kind of side plot hooks um, mm -hmm. it is risk reward um, because I think this depends on how much time you have. Um, if you have a ton of time and your players are meeting once a week, um, yeah, let them explore and go into mm -hmm. side quests and just go, go nuts. Right. But if I don't know, these things um, can kind of take a toll, especially if you have a game that meets once a month. Like if you just say, I want to go South it's like okay yay open world this is fun we it's so free and open and the players have all this choice but like going south might not be the most fun thing for the party so, and it's hard to balance that right like it's hard to mm -hmm. to be like guys my rails are there because they're fun and i feel like you guys would enjoy them and you can yeah. go off the rails but at that point it's almost like all right, you guys better make your own fun because this is not <laughs> this is not created by me. This is just so, improv and weird off the rails going south craziness, you know? The the way I like to have like side quests and side things is they always tie back into the main plot just because I think that that's just the style of game that I like to run where it's almost like all roads lead to Rome and no matter what direction you're going to go, like you'll somehow progress the story. And that's hmm. that's kind of like the way that I've approached running the game, just so that it's the players do have agency, but at the same time they still can progress the story no matter what they do. I see. Hmm. So it's like they're always sliding like towards something. Yeah. And they can kind of change which lane they're going yeah. in, but there's ultimately where it they can change the scenery, but it's always gonna you know end up at the same. Oh, that's weird. Oh, that's really weird. So it's like. The real question philosophically is what gives you more freedom? Jake's more on the rails approach to a plot or David's go wherever you want, but the rails will secretly be under you the whole time. <laughs> or mine where I say there is no plot, go wherever you like. <laughs> Interesting. Um, oh, okay. So I have something I want to say for Charlie. Um, when you're building these systems and side quests and plots and whatever, what have you, um, just ask yourself what kind of game you want to be running. If you think of a TV show, yeah. um, every show is going to have a certain tone, a certain focus, and there's things that they don't show. So if you're watching a police procedural, you're going to get more of that behind the scenes, like people talking about um, you know, the murder victim, whatever. If you're watching a sci-fi action show, like they skip over a lot of things. And so, they are um, doing the paperwork. <laughs> yeah you don't see the paperwork um and there's a tendency in D, D to be like i want to have this kitchen sink style game where i have every single subsystem developed so whatever the players do like they can interact with it and you don't always need that um probably the most successful um and satisfying according to my, all my players who always tell me how good it was that one campaign i finished that was focused three episodes long i didn't come up with any crazy side quests or anything it was just like go 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 um and that was more satisfying and more fun and more more quick 
um, than than some vast open world Skyrim esque trudge across the countryside with every day of travel and every flower detail and every quest log <laughs> entry complete. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just ask yourself what kind of game you want to be running. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also ask your players too, because you may have a type of game you want to run, but your players want or need something way different. Absolutely. Communication yeah. is going to make your life better. Oh, yeah. What is the most overpowered action ever taken? So, like, damage negated, death, or just anything crazy in a single turn? The first uh, thing that comes to mind is um, a Beholder's Disintegration Ray. Because it can just <laughs> one-shot somebody. Yeah. Ooh. Um, But I, outside of monsters, I think for players, um, grappling... <clears throat> grappling is an underappreciated and very powerful ability um i didn't know this until a few weeks ago i discovered the and i'm hesitant to say this because my players are going to read this and now just completely exploit it but mm -hmm. it's called the <laughs> grappler's manual of grappling um it's like a, a very long indexed forum post mm -hmm. from inworld.org um and he just explains that grappling in 5e interacts very powerfully with other um what do they call it conditions yeah um, grappling reduces a enemy's movement to zero, I think, uh, and the way they have to get out of it. Anyway, um, very overpowered. One action, you can really just like grab onto a dragon, and they can't really do anything. Mm -hmm. And then you continue to stack on more conditions if your character is built correctly. Um, and they just kind of pin it down. Everyone has advantage against the enemy, mm -hmm. and they just kill it in a in a round. Yeah, and it's really funny. Um, in fact, if I was going <laughs> to build a character, I probably would try this just because. Um, I want to see like a grappling monk would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've a seen a bar. build called the sumo monk and it's just a <laughs> grappling monk. Yeah. <laughs> so that is my pick. Grappling is the very, very overpowered action, man. I think that, uh, so I've had some pretty overpowered turns in my day. Uh, I think I will could definitely attest to that. Uh, but I think the most overpowered one that comes to mind in most recent days was, I was playing a Pact of the Blade Warlock, and we had we came across the big bad boss, but I had gotten an item, which was called the Gem of Splitting, which would duplicate your character. So you would have two copies of your character that would both, you know, have the same amount of actions and all of that. And what I did is uh, I duplicated and then I cast Darkness, which blinds enemies and if you're a pact of the blade warlock you there's a there's a there's a, a choice that you can make where you can see in ma in magical darkness uh -huh. but i would also get advantage because attacks against enemies in darkness give you advantage so i basically had like six attacks against this boss Ugh. In, in like the first round like it was like a what? sneak attack round and I, we basically just killed him in one round before he got to do anything. And he just got utterly wrecked. And it was hilarious. And I think Will oh. was a little... And, and the funniest part was his soul would have gone into like the this soul gen that was being powered up. But because I was uh, packed to the blade, I was able to trap his soul after killing him. <laughs> so he was just under my service. Oh my gosh. Yikes! Oh yeah. man, um, I, maybe I need to have a workshop with Will about how to make enemies resistant to David. 
There's no such workshop. There's oh, no stopping me. Well, the throw several coming through. Throw several Tarasks, and they will derail that train <laughs> real quick, David. <laughs> I, I could beat a Tarask in real life. Oh, let's. Oh man, come at me. Roll for initiative, idiota. Oh, okay, it's a so twenty-five. Um, <laughs> so I think for me, um, the I don't even know if this is. I don't even think this is a reaction or a. a um maybe i guess it is an action but um so all of my players went through the entire island of chult the entire tomb of annihilation campaign um finished like went through the tomb of the nine gods and finally got to Asarak, um this evil um arch lich um they were fighting him um and i was going all out with them i was like okay and i like casting hardcore evil necrotic spells and doing horrific damage and there's a lava pit um that i'm throwing characters in and it's it's great um because there's a baby red dragon that was a, a friend of the party that was uh saving people out of the uh the lava pit but anyway towards the end of the fight um it's like do or die and it's like okay is this going to um like are they going to win or lose? It was getting really close. And I cast a spell on the the head paladin of the party. It was a half-work paladin. I cast a spell, and I didn't know how much health he had left, but I just sent the damage to the spell, and he's like, I'm out. I'm done. And he is floating above a uh, a just pool of lava, and he's about to dip into it. He's, he's, he's dead. Like, he, if he hits the lava unconsciously, like, he's gone. And so he's dropping down towards it. And so I'm like, oh, no. And I'm thinking, like, I think they're done. Like, I'm like, I think this might be it. And so we're moving on to the next uh, to the next round of combat or the next uh, the next player's turn. And everyone's kind of somber. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. I'm an orc. I'm a half orc. I have relentless endurance. Whenever you are reduced to zero hit points, you can drop instead to one hit point. And so in mid falling into a pool of lava, he just wakes up and is like, ah, ah, and calls for his, his red dragon son <laughs> who pick, who picks him up quickly and carries him to safety in order like, and, and it was like, oh my gosh. Like in that moment, it was like, oh my gosh, at me as a DM, I'm like, I'm gonna, they're dead. I'm gonna kill them. Like, they're, they're gone. But then, like, that happened. And it was like, oh, it was such a good moment. Cause it was like, oh, cause, cause none of us remembered that the half work gets that ability. <laughs> and even he was like falling into a pit of lava. He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And just reading through his character sheet furiously and finds that. He's like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so that's good. probably I don't know if that counts as an action, but that was probably the best moment of like as a dungeon master. I'm like, oh no, did I go too hard? Like, are they, they're gone, they're dead, and then switching to like this completely heroic resistance. Yeah, it was great. Well, I guess we have plundered the vault. Welcome to the review corner. Every week we read our favorite five-star reviews from iTunes. This week's review is from Mackenzie with a K. Nerdy, relevant. Mackenzie says, These guys are hysterical and witty. Their brains work in ways mine does not. 
They elaborate on topics I didn't even know was possible, and they're so funny. The way they think about D&D is so different than most. Listen, listen, listen. Thank you, Mackenzie with a K. Oh, listen Thank three you. times? Wow. Three listens. Yes. Three that's listens. A, that's, a, that's a classic triple listen. What's the, what's the conversion of listens to stars? That's, um, um, I'd say it's at least uh, 1.3 per... Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 25. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. You can follow us on social media. Our Twitter is at Vox Arcana Podcast. That is run by Jake. The Facebook and Instagram are run by me, William, at Vox Arcana Podcast. And you can email us at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. Everyone get in the bag of holding. <laughs>